again. Wired up. Good evening. Happy, Happy New Year. Good to see you again. Uh, it, it you know it continues to be um, such a such a privilege for me to uh, uh, to teach and and to preach the Bible and uh, to teach to people who want to hear it. And um, I've been in places who who uh, didn't really want to hear it. Um, I don't know why they were there, but uh, maybe for something else. But I'm so thankful, and I'm humbled by it too. I, I just um, the, the thought of of uh, any man, uh, especially this man, to stand and speak on behalf of God is a very, very humbling thing. And um, but I'm very thankful that the Lord has given me this this privilege, this task to do it. And um, I hope it's an encouragement to you. Um, and happy New Year, Merry Christmas. I want to back up tonight because uh, this is uh, this is a passage from Luke's Gospel, the first chapter. So Luke chapter one. In fact, this is the passage that Pastor Jonathan spoke on last week. And I'm not going to correct anything. I'm not going to add anything to what he said. I'm certainly probably probably uh, you, you you can um, uh, yawn and, and fall asleep because uh, you you really got a good message last week. But this was already one that I had kind of uh, uh, pulled out and set aside to uh, to speak on if I was called upon to do so because we've had so much uh, sickness, and so you're going to get it again. So here it is tonight. And I, I just simply entitled this a birth announcement, and because that's what it is, it's a birth announcement. We're going to pick that up there in verse twenty-six, Luke chapter one, verse twenty-six, all the way to verse thirty-eight. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. You you can imagine. Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant or the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, we thank you for your word, your word that is true, always true, um, that is the perfect treasure to instruct us and teach your people. I pray, Father, that you would indeed open our eyes again to this passage, Lord, to bring out, uh, Lord, a, a freshness, to the, not new truth, but Lord, just the, the old truth in, in, a, in a fresh way to, to uh, Lord, uh, deepen our understanding, the richness of it, Lord, and, and may it find a, a true and lasting resting place inside of us that we, God, would be changed by it. We thank You that You haven't left us in the dark about these things, God, that You've given us um, such clear 
instruction. Yes, God, so many mysteries, but Lord, mysteries that we, sh- we can worship You for and praise You for and be in awe of You for. But uh, Lord, um, thank You that You haven't left us in the dark about these things. And so, Lord, um, teach Your people. And at the end of it all, Lord, we will give You praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. A birth announcement. And I apologize, I do not have my, my regular glasses. I went off and left them, so I may be taking these on and off here, but, uh, but uh, hopefully these will, will, will do the trick. Uh, Gabriel's been busy, hasn't he? <laughs> in, our, in our text. You, you guys remember old, old, uh, old mute uh, Zach and uh, old Elizabeth and how, uh, how uh, the God, God had uh, made an announcement to them about a birth, right? Yeah. John's birth. And so the Bible begins there, the story begins there in the sixth month. That's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, you know, when most people send out a birth announcement, the man and the woman are kind of the first ones to know about it. But this is an instance where there's a birth announcement made to the mother. It's news to her, right? So, so here it is. And actually, two couples, one old and barren and the other young and unmarried virgin. There was something mysterious happening in Judea, right? Certainly we know what it was. The angel Gabriel had been busy. He had come from the presence of the Lord to announce this miraculous birth. Uh, first, the, the birth of John to, uh, again, old silent Zach and barren Elizabeth who would give birth to a son, right? But this was, this was just the preview. The, the, birth, the announcement of the birth of John was just the preview. It was just the warm-up. John wasn't the Christ. He was the forerunner. He was the one who was coming to prepare the way of Christ. No, the, the, real, the real announcement was coming, right? The announcement of, of the birth of Christ. Uh, John's birth was the opening number to a full-scale concert of mystery, and we're so excited about that. Um, While in Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy, Gabriel makes the second appearance, this time to a virgin Mary, the Bible says. Now, now we non-Catholics don't don't pay too much attention to Mary. Maybe we need to pay more attention to her than we we do, but we don't pay much attention to her, but, but here she is. Right? Not an immaculate conceiver. Let's, let's, be, let's be clear about that. Not a perpetual virgin. We know that also from the Scripture. Not, not someone who would be in the future taken body and soul into heavenly glory where she would intercede and mediate between us and her Son. She's not a, she's not a mediator between us and Jesus, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches. She's not a co-mediatrix with Christ. You understand that. No, these kinds of doctrines have no place in the Scripture, right? But, but let's not dismiss Mary. She's a pretty important figure in Scripture, isn't she? Because the Roman Catholic Church has gotten it wrong, right? She, she is the blessed virgin. She is the favored one, favored above the rest. I, I like what J.C. Ryle writes. He says, he says, No woman was ever so highly honored as the mother of our Lord. It is evident that one woman only out of the countless millions of the human race could be the means whereby God uh, could be manifest in the flesh. And the Virgin Mary had the mighty privilege of being that one. I like that. I like that. And so we look at another of this, this faithful remnant. I mean, if you go by Luke's Gospel particularly, seeing this little faithful, faithful remnant of, of, of believing Jewish people, Mary's one of those. People looking for the Christ, waiting on the, the kingdom that is to come. And little did they know their part in the coming king. Little did Mary know, right? Luke introduces us to Mary here and, and through her to Jesus, our Savior. The one mediator between God and man, Christ. <laughs> 
the, the God-man. It is to Mary this announcement first comes, and it's good the mother is the first to know about it. <laughs> so notice here where, 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 we, where we get into the Scripture here. Gabriel announces this birth, the birth of our Lord. And I, First of all, I want you to see the lowly setting of this announcement, the lowly setting of this announcement. And that's found in verses 26 to 28. We'll reread that again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee. Remember Galilee. In some places it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. We'll pause right there. The lowly setting. There are some who have tried to reduce this event to, to myth. Uh, you know, the, the idea of an angel approaching somebody and speaking to them. Of course, they, they, um, unbeliever don't, unbelievers don't believe in angels either, much less, much less a God. But combine the supernatural element with this lowly setting, and, and you can't get around the truth of it. You, you, you really can't get it. I mean, if you're going to make up a story, you don't make up places like... I mean, you make up places like Neverland. You don't make up places like Nazareth. Mm or Galilee, or an obscure virgin in a place like this. I mean, note how unapologetically supernatural the Bible is, first of all. Gabriel is sent from God to Nazareth. Don't apologize for that. Don't try to explain the angel. Don't try to explain the event. Just simply states the fact. Gabriel is sent from God to Nazareth. There's no trick there that a liberal can do to kind of kind of get around that, <laughs> except to argue that God, that it didn't really happen. But here it is: a supernatural creature sent by God to announce the birth of our Lord to a virgin. Supernatural event. That's not, that's not allegorical myth. I think the lowly setting is further evidence of that. This, this, again, this is not Alice in Wonderland. This is, this is historical fact. This is Nazareth. This is Galilee. Now, this is not even Judea, by the way. I mean, it's not even there. This was a place of trade and contact with the world. Gentiles did business there, right? I mean, if, you, if you're going to make up a story about a coming king, don't, don't have him be born in a place like that. That's where Gentiles hang out. Later, the apostle uh, Nathaniel uh, would ask Philip, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> a town never mentioned in the Old Testament, by the way. Never mentioned by Josephus. Actually, never mentioned any Jewish literature that we know of. Some have suggested that only maybe four or five hundred people live there in that place of Nazareth. It was a rather obscure town with, with maybe not the best reputation as we hear. If you're going to create a myth, make it somewhere famous or, or make a place up, again, like Neverland or something like that. But don't, 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 uh, don't talk about Nazareth. <laughs> and Gabriel is sent to an unknown girl. I mean, nobody knows who this, this girl is. I mean, this is the first time we hear about this girl. She's probably young, 13 to 18 years old, somewhere in there. Betrothed to a man named Joseph. I mean, let's just notice together, here's a place and a people who simply don't have the makings of a myth. But, but if you're simply telling the truth, you're simply giving an orderly account of the things that happened, here it is. Uh, they're perfect for that. As God brings His Son into the world, He starts with a humble beginning, a small, insignificant uh, uh, place with people that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> and isn't it just like our God to do something like that? Can you see the, the juxtaposition there? God sends a creature with a name, Gabriel. By the way, I think we just know, too, what Michael 
and Gabriel. It's pretty significant. And not just any creature, again, Gabriel, who comes from God's presence to announce the birth of his son. And I mean, that's pretty supernatural. That's pretty mystical. That's pretty, pretty amazing. But it's to a place in Nazareth, to a virgin, to obscure Joseph and Mary. Who are these people? And why is Gabriel, who has come from the presence of God, to come and announce this to these obscure people? Isn't that just like our God to do something like that? To do something so mysterious and unguessable so that, so that people like us will just simply be in awe of Him and, and worship Him. Yes. God, you, you're the only one who will do something like that. <laughs> if we were going we to pick a king, a place, a place for a king to be born, we might have picked Rome or, or I don't know, Washington, D.C. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> That's most like our God. You guys may remember the, uh, the, uh, the, the judge, Jephthah. You remember him? Jephthah was this guy who was, uh, who was rejected by his, his own people. He was, he was uh, cast out of his, of his town and uh, hung out with uh, 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 a sort of uh, uh, a rowdy crowd, so to speak. And of course, you know, trouble came to the land that he was from. And what did his people do? They went and sent for him to come because he was a man of war, right? He was a guy who could handle that. God used him to deliver his people. It's interesting, isn't it? The people that God uses, the thing that God, God do, the people that, people that uh, you would think, no, nobody can, nobody can use that. Uh, you know, God, God can't work with that. But this is exactly what God does. This is the pattern that God has. He takes what the world snubs or rejects, uh, what the world thinks is powerless, and he uses it. And of course, there's hope for us yet, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> I like First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-six and following. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no man being uh, being uh, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Here, God, here, God just takes a lowly virgin and chooses her to give birth to his son. How amazing is that? How wonderful and amazing our God is. He takes human wisdom and he just sort of flips it upside down and he works according to the counsel of his own will. And and he's not chained to nauseating social correctness. And he's not trite in his miraculous workings, nor is he imprisoned in a box of human expectations. He just does whatever he wills, the way he wills, with whatever means he wills, and he's not interested in anybody's input or anybody's objections. That's our God. If he wills to bring into the world his, own, his only son, his only savior, through an obscure couple living in a small town in the middle of nowhere, praise be to God. There's a second thing I want you to see there in the text, not only the humble setting, but but a kingdom view. I want you to see a kingdom view here in verses 30 to 33. Verse 30 to 33, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. You see that? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. A kingdom view. Gabriel connects this child to an old promise to David. Mm-hmm. A 
covenant promise. And unlike many today, our God keeps His promises. Isn't that wonderful? God had said to David back there in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, Your throne shall be established forever. And of course it was reiterated in Psalm 89, verse 36, where he says, His line shall endure forever, His throne as long as the sun before me. And again in Micah chapter 4, verse 7, again in Daniel chapter 7, verse 4, 14, all speak of the unending reign of David's line. Luke is careful to mention Joseph is of the house of David isn't he? Yeah. And so Gabriel repeats this promise to Mary. This this was the hope of all believing Israel, by the way. God is not going to let Israel go. He's going to establish a kingdom with the descendant of David ruling, a righteous descendant, a king who will rule in righteousness to uphold the law of God. Now, it's not real popular today to speak about these things in reform circles for some reason. We like to talk about a spiritual kingdom, but not an earthly one. Uh, but let me ask you a question tonight. Should we stop praying Matthew chapter 6, verse 10? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Or to stop singing Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and you made them a kingdom, even priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And I don't want us to get our feathers ruffled. People, people get their feathers ruffled because some believe in a literal millennial kingdom where Christ reigns for a thousand years and the restoration of a national Israel to, to the Messiah. And some believe all this talk of ruling is in a new heaven and a new earth and sort of a spiritual Israel. Listen, we all believe Christ is ruling and will rule. Amen? Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll just have to let Him work out all the details of what His future rule looks like. Is that okay? <laughs> Let's just celebrate it. He, he rules and He will rule. And so Gabriel continues. I'm, I'm so thankful that one day he's going to correct all of our eschatology. <laughs> all, all of it. And so Gabriel continues. He, he, mentions his, he mentions the name he'll be given, Jesus. Jesus. It, it's from the Old Testament equivalent, uh, Joshua or Yeshua. It, it means salvation or the Lord or Yahweh is salvation. He will be a savior, a deliverer, uh, like the judges and the kings of old, but different. And of course, we know how different, doesn't he? He will save his people, what? From their sins. Ah, man, that was his mission. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible carries on there. He will be great. How great, you might ask? He calls him the Son of the Most High. Now, if you're a son... I always want to tell you, you can't get any greater than being the Son of the Most High. That's a reference to the Heavenly Father. You can't get any greater than that. He's the Son of the Most High. But immediately, I think you see a problem with this, don't you? This was an old promise. Think about it for a minute. At the present moment, there is no reigning king, not not of the Davidic line. No Davidic king. Hadn't been in 600 years. This people had been under Babylonian rule, Persian rule, Syrian rule, and now what? They're under Roman rule. The odds were that it wasn't going to happen. 600 years, generation after generation, has come and gone. Had the promise expired? Had the sell-by date expired? You know, Gabriel implies that all that, listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God said it, it will come to pass. The promise is still on the books. God had spoken it, and it could not be undone. 
God never writes, I'm sorry, after His promises. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. And so what good news for the church today? Jesus Christ is King. He rules. He's ruling right now. He's ruling in our hearts. Amen. He's, he's ruling and His rule won't end, the Bible says. He won't get voted out. He has all the authority. And I realize that there are many places in this old broken world that that, that, that rule has not been fully realized yet. But just like the promise of His first coming, He is coming again. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the kingdom view of the birth of Jesus, the birth announcement of Jesus. But thirdly, we have in this birth announcement of our Lord an explanation. Now you can imagine, right? Mary, Mary has some questions. I mean, I mean, some obvious questions. Maybe some objections that need to be resolved. I know many curious things, right? That are that are need to be explained for her. Many people think they need to have all the 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 mystery solved, all the all the answers to these things. So she says, "How can these things be?" She clearly understands what Gabriel's announcing. I like what Pastor Jonathan said last week about the song, Mary, Did You Know? Well, of course she knew, right? Yeah, she, she, she knew. She, she clearly understood what Gabriel was announcing. So she asked a biological question. You understand? She, she understands how babies are made, right? Everybody knows how babies are made. I mean, even this young virgin. She, but she wasn't in a sexual relationship. She'd not been with a man. Gabriel says... It will be a miraculous birth. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. (laughs) It will be something God will do. Uh, Normal human agency will not be involved in this conception. God is going to perform it. It won't be like John's birth. Yes, it was miraculous because Elizabeth was barren, but it was still done through the the natural process, right? The natural means. But this would be a supernatural birth. I'm not sure most of us modern Americans would be satisfied with the answer. we'd, We'd be asking, but how? How? Explain it to us. Explain it to us. God, we have to know the answers. You know, sometimes God closes the curtains on His work. Yeah. You guys know this. The secret things, what? Belong to the Lord. He veils them in mystery. And I think we ought to be content with that. And In fact, I think it ought to cause us to worship a little bit more. Right? To be a little bit more in awe of God. God is God. Is God. And if He wants to work behind the curtain, behind the veil, and not explain things to us, it's okay. He's God. Maybe the full explanation would explode our brains or something. Maybe God not telling the biological details is mercy on us somehow. But isn't that the definition of a miracle? Something outside the natural explanation. It's something only God can do. Sometimes it's better for us not to know. I heard a story about a preacher and his wife and they vowed early in their marriage to be more considerate of one another and she promised not to be so critical of his sleep-inducing sermons and, and, uh, and he vowed to respect her privacy and not go through her dresser drawers, you know. And they, and they were true to that. Fifty years they lived together and, and, and kept that, that vow to one another, lived in harmony. Their 50th anniversary came up and the kids got together and they got them some gifts and stuff, you know. And they were putting all the gifts away that evening and the preacher noticed his wife had left one of her drawers slightly open. 
He, he tried not to look, but he couldn't help himself. And he looked inside and he found three eggs and $10,000 in cash. Wow. Puzzled, he asked his wife about it. He says, oh, oh you remember years ago when you, you preached a real snoozer. Uh, um, yeah. Years ago, I decided instead of being critical, and when you preached the real snoozer, I'd put an egg in the drawer. Immediately, you know, he got puffed up, you know. Fifty years, only three eggs in the drawer. He said, well, what about the $10,000? And she said, well, when I got a dozen, I sold them. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just better not to know. Sometimes it's better not to know. And sometimes God puts us in that position. Here, here, here there are no details about how this thing will be. We, we, we've, seen them, uh, we've seen from the beginning of Luke's gospel that, that this is rather typical of our God. Th there's a mystery to Christ's birth, a mystery to His miracles, a mystery to His cross. There, there's, there's a mystery to His resurrection. And I think it ought to cause us to pause and to ponder and to be in awe and to worship God for who He is. There are many things that, 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 that we can't quite get our little minds around. I, I think God's mysteries are on purpose. He's reminding us He is God and we are His creatures. We are His workmanship. He's God. And He'll always be that way. He's not feeding our curiosity, but I think fueling our worship. He doesn't want us to, to be ignorant of things, just, just to realize that He's competent, he's, he's working, and He's working all things well. Amen? Yeah. Many people stumble here. They, they, they deny the miraculous of the Scriptures. They, 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 they say things like, because it don't happen now, it, it couldn't happen then. Well, that's just hogwash. Yeah. That's hogwash. The Greeks had a word for that. It's baloney. Repeat yeah. it with me. Baloney. There it is. May I just remind you, God is God. I mean, what kind of God would He be if He couldn't operate outside the confines of human limitations? What kind of God would He be? God has set the natural laws in place, but, but they're His natural laws. He sets the boundaries, not for Himself, but for us. And he is, bound, he is in no way bound to those limitations. Gravity doesn't affect God, can you imagine? Why would anything else affect Him? He doesn't tell us how He suspends the natural laws and works a miracle. He may not want us to speculate, but simply to adore. Yes. Amen? Notice fourthly in this birth announcement an assurance. An assurance. You know, she's, she said, how can these things be? He gives her an explanation, but now he's going to give, the angel's going to give uh, Mary an assurance. Look at verses 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. You know, God often gives these kinds of assurances to His people when, when needed. I'm thankful for that. Mary has some questions. Gabriel gives rather matter-of-fact explanation, and then he leads right into an assurance for Mary, I think. He mentions her relative Elizabeth. Old Baron Elizabeth is going to have a child. Think about it. I mean, she's way past her, her birthing years. Uh, she was barren. They didn't have any children. Now she's six months pregnant. She was called barren. Who called her barren? Everybody did. Everybody knew. I mean, her, I mean he, he was certainly a prominent figure there in the... Uh, um, the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, the priesthood. He would certainly have been known, and, and, and her and, and, and he would have been known to... Like, they don't have any kids. She, she can't have any children. She's, she's barren. Everyone knew she couldn't have children, but here she is six months into her pregnancy. 
<laughs> and then Gabriel takes her beyond Elizabeth to Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. He paraphrases this verse from Mary. Literally, is anything too wonderful for Yahweh? The idea, wonderful or supernatural. Gabriel takes Mary back to post-menopausal Sarah. Who conceived Isaac, not because she was able, but because God had promised, nothing is impossible with God. (laughs) This again is so like our God. We catch Him, don't we? Over and over again, as as if to say, let me help you believe. Let me me help you believe this. Let me show you. Let me me give you a demonstration, a, a, a taste to help you a little bit. God is concerned to sustain His people's faith through every encouragement. You remember Gideon and his fleece? He didn't, did He have to give Gideon his fleece? He didn't have to do that. But He did, didn't He? You remember Moses and Aaron? What did He give them the staff, you know? And gave them these, these other signs and to encourage them along the way. And you might object. You said, but yeah, but God's not giving those kinds of things anymore. And, and you'd re- be right in the sense that that's not the normal way in which God works in this day. He doesn't work that way. So where do we get our assurance? Are you ready for this? It's not rocket science. We run to the Scriptures. We run to the Scriptures. We see there the living Word. And when our faith is weak, we remember faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. I mentioned that this morning. We go again and we see the pages, uh, 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 the pages, the, the promise. I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We go again and we hear the promise. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. We go back and we see the faithfulness of God over and over again in history where He rescues His people, where He provides for His people. And how do we know He's going to do it in the future? Because He did it in the past. God is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. We, we run to places like 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we, do not, uh, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. That's the word. Do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, till Christ comes, we have the assurance of the Scriptures. The prophetic word of Christ. And in Him, through His word, we are assured by the crucified and risen Christ that all His promises are true. Folks, in conclusion tonight, I want us to notice Mary's response to the birth announcement. And I'm going to close with this. Mary's response to the birth announcement is found in verse 38. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She calls herself servant. That's that's the word doulos, slave. It's a slave. Calls herself a slave of the Lord. Therefore, as his slave, she says, May it be done to me according to your word. I think we're, we're sometimes often too familiar with texts like this and we sort of, sort of just breeze through them and really don't think about what, what may or may not be happening here. I think it's, I think it's worth pondering for a moment. This, this step of faith, if you will, this, this moment... Not that Mary had a choice. He wasn't giving her a choice saying, hey, you know, Mary, if you want to do this, if you want to do this, you know, hey, it, it, this is available to you. No, he's just simply saying, there's going to be a child born to you. 
But here she's submitting herself, her, her will to the Lord. Uh, and I think it's worth pondering a moment, this, this sort of surrender that she has here. Mary had to know on some level what she was getting into. Was this privilege or punishment for her? I mean, all of her security as a Jewish girl is in jeopardy. Yes. Think about it. Her future marriage to Joseph, remember Joseph was going to, he was planning on secretly putting her away, divorcing her. Her status in Israel all on the line. I mean, what would people say? We probably know what they would say. I mean, what same person would believe such a story? Hey, the angel Gabriel came and spoke to me and told me I was going to conceive a child through the Holy Spirit. I mean, we have the Scripture here, but, you know, in that day, I mean, who would believe such a story? And what if Joseph, again, Joseph at this point doesn't know anything. Betrothal uh, was a much more serious and sort of binding commitment than our modern engagement period. Uh, the marriage was not consummated during the betrothal period, but, but was held in such high regard that any infidelity during this time was considered adultery. And of course, you, you know the punishment in the Old Testament for adultery what was, was stoning. It was stoning. Mary's pregnancy to any onlooker, I mean... Anybody that was looking and, and didn't have a conversation with Gabriel would have thought, man, she's, she's an adulteress. I mean, it was required by the law to be put to death, although at this time it was seldom carried out. For all Mary knew, I mean, she would be despised, she would be rejected, she'd be cast out and worse, stoned. Wrongly so. But that wouldn't change what, uh, what she must have thought uh, would, would likely happen. From her perspective, uh, she was being asked to risk everything. And listen to this. With all that in mind, she submits herself, body and soul, I'm your slave. Do to me as, as you will. A slave of the Lord. She had sort of a Hebrews chapter 13 kind of faith. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Work in us that which is pleasing in His sight. That's, that's the kind of idea. Work, work in me what is pleasing in your sight. I mean, that's the attitude of a submissive slave, isn't it? That which is pleasing to the Lord. I mean, it was, it was, it was the Apostle Paul's favorite title or favorite uh, reference for himself. This is the way he introduced himself many times. What a slave of Jesus Christ. James, remember James, the half-brother of our Lord. And I would think if you're going to write a letter, I mean, what more greater authority could you put on the, in, the, in the beginning of the letter than, hey, I'm the half-brother of Jesus, so listen to me? Yeah. He doesn't do that. He calls himself, he calls himself what? A slave. A bondservant. That's what he says. First chapter. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Calls him Lord. Peter in his second letter. Simon Peter, a servant or a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. As slaves of Christ, they were all concerned with what pleases the Lord. I, I think that's good. I, I think that's a good thing. And, and it can be a bit scary, can it? For who knows what will please the Lord? Who knows what God may take us through, right? There are times in life of, of a slave of Jesus Christ where, where we're asked to do or endure some pretty hard things. But listen, when, we think about, when you think about who our master is, we know that whatever he does what is, what is good. 
It may be hard, but it's good. I like what Thomas Hogg, 17th century Scottish preacher, has said, Submission is preferable to comfort. For comfort pleases us, but submission pleases God. God must have been pleased with this supreme servant of His, Mary, this slave of the Lord, this blessed virgin indeed. I, I, think, I think we could learn some things from Mary. Uh, listen, we, we, uh, we need to keep her in her proper place. She's not a co-mediatrix. She's not a mediator between us and Jesus. But she is pretty special. And she certainly could be a, a great example of submission here, couldn't she? We could learn some things from her. From her. Listen, just thinking about this new year, here we are on the eve of 2024. Who knows, Lord, if He decides to, to tarry and He leaves us here for a, for a season. Man, what a, what, a, what a great mindset to go into this new year. That is the mindset of a slave. God, here I am. Do with me if you, as you wish. Whatever pleases you, Lord, to do with me, do as you wish. Uh, man, that's a hard prayer to pray sometimes, but I think it's always the best prayer. Listen, our lives are always better in His hands than they are in ours, no matter where we are. Uh, it's better being a slave of Jesus Christ than being enslaved to our own sin. Amen? It is a good thing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. What an amazing and mysterious God You are. We thank You for sending Your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank You for the beauty and the mystery surrounding His birth. God, we ask that our hearts be moved to more steadfast service and sincere worship. This new year and always help us, we pray, to do only what pleases You. To the praise of Your glory we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.